0: Well, I don't know if you can tell that there are a number of mothers and wives who are going on the retreat, and I can always tell when they go on a women's retreat, because you can see children who are wearing clothes that don't quite match as they did the other times, and uh, maybe their hairdo looks very, very different. Uh, I remember husbands hurrying home right after church. Uh, so they could get home and clean up the house before mama comes home. And um, I always saw the men doing this. Always looking at their watches. When do we get relief? When is she coming home? Uh, now the reason I have that insight is. I was one of those fathers waiting for my wife to come home. And uh, I was trying to get three uh, young daughters ready for church. While also coming to preach. So. I could feel some of that pressure. So we are thankful for the part that uh, the women have in our life here at the church. They certainly are a blessing to us, and we want to remember them as they are are coming home uh, here this afternoon. Now, we're in a series entitled Our Comforter, and uh, we are in the fourth part. We're looking at John chapter 15 and part of 16. Uh, Now, I have looked at these scriptures and here's what I find. That this is the last teaching passage of Jesus in the book of John before he goes to pray in Gethsemane and before he is taken captive. So it plays a very strategic and important part in uh, Jesus' ministry. And it is there for us here to see the importance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I can't overemphasize how important it is for Christians today to have a clear, a biblical view of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It was so important to the life of Jesus. His own life, but also in his preparing his disciples and preparing us for days ahead. Now, one thing we have been talking about is God's joy. And uh, our God is a joyful God. He's not sad, he's not lonely, and he's not frustrated. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that in his presence is the fullness, or if you would, infinite joy. We've also talked about the Father's joy The Father's joy was to exalt or to glorify His Son. We're told that the Father has highly exalted Him and given Him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every name in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, uh, that they would confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, it's even when we give glory to Christ, the Father takes his pleasure. And we know that the Son's joy was to glorify his Father while he was here. And it was Jesus' joy to glorify his Father by enduring suffering and the shame of the cross out of perfect submission to his Father's will. And then there is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's joy is to enable us to discover the joy of glorifying God. And that's what we will be talking about here this morning. We know that the Father has exalted the Son. And we know that it is God's joy that we share in His joy. And that's why Paul in Romans 15:13 he talked about the joy that he should have we should have in the church. Paul wrote to the church and here's his prayer. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy, peace and believing, in believing that you may abound in hope, by what? By the power of the Holy Spirit. That is his role. By the way, that has been my prayer for us here at the church. To be filled with hope. The joy of the Holy Spirit. This joy, however, is not just a future uh, possibility, but it is now a part of our life because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit awakens within us this joy, the joy of glorifying Christ. And that is why sometimes he's referred to as the glorifier. Because he's the one who enables us to sample God's joy that he intends for us and throughout all of eternity. The Holy Spirit works in many different places and many different people to glorify God. He may inspire lofty worship and a thatched roof hut, as I've experienced, or painful endurance in a hospital to glorify God. I've experienced that. God may be glorified through the preaching of the gospel in a church, or the testimony of a believer. In the workplace or a Christian suffering in a darkened gulag in other words, the Spirit can and does use our pain, our suffering, and even persecution to be one of the most powerful, powerful megaphones for God's glory. And often it is in these kinds of situations that we discover this secret. Of joy. And what is that secret? Glorifying God. And it was in such a moment as this that the apostles were lamenting the departure of Jesus. He had announced that he was going to depart from them and he was going to be with his Father. And that brought them great concern. How would they ever live without Christ? So in chapters 14-16 through 16 of John, Jesus is preparing them for what's ahead. And they were going to be difficult days. He warned them, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. He says, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. The apostles' identity with Christ would mean for some of them prison, chopping block, or even a cross. And this kind of straight talk about the harsh realities in the Christian lives uh, seems to be strangely missing in some of the churches here in America. Instead, our focus is more on how God can help us, how He can help us to be successful, rather than paying the cost of radical discipleship for Christ. And the wine of our generation, and that's not W I N E, it's the wine, W H I N E, if I spelled it correctly. The wine of our generation sounds more like this. It just isn't fair that I have to. to go through all these difficult things in my life right now. Or, God, what have you done for me lately? Or, why is this month's income so tight? I can't, even, I can't even buy everything that my heart desires. Now, if that sounds a little harsh, if you traveled with me to the places that I go, and they heard some of our comments, they would say, I don't understand. Um, When we shift away from the message of the cross, we're not only robbing God of his glory, but we're robbing ourselves of the joy that God intends to give us. And because of our identity with Christ, we must expect that the world will not be a friendly place to us. Sorry to make that announcement. Christ never promised us that we would be removed or kept from adversity or pain. So to stand with Christ is to stand against the world's value system. There's no safe middle ground if we are to glorify God. We are either God glorifiers or glory robbers. Jesus not only warned them of difficult days ahead, but he promised something so incredible. He said, Someone special is going to come. I'm going to send him. He said it would actually even be to their advantage that he departed to be with the Father. And their mind going, "There There couldn't be anything that would be an advantage over having you right here with us. But he said, I will send you another helper. Like me. Like myself. And the helper would do more than just abide with them. He will abide in them. Christ's joy would then continue. It would continue through them by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see, God not only desires for us to share in his joy, but he's committed to it by giving him, by giving us. His Holy Spirit. And so now in our text this morning, we see that Jesus is returning to this same topic, this same doctrine, this same uh, teaching on the Holy Spirit. He wanted to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And he promised that our helper would be the glorifier. The glorifier would do extraordinary things through very ordinary people. And in John 15, 26 through 27, here we hear our Lord now beginning to uh, uh, finalize his thoughts on the Holy Spirit. He says, but when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Here's what Jesus is promising. He's promising that the glorifier who will be given to him will bear witness of Christ to them and to the whole world. And the Holy Spirit is referred to in other gospels as the promise of the Father. And what that means is the Holy Spirit is the one that the Father has promised us. And he is referred to as our helper. He's the one who would come alongside us. To strengthen, comfort, and encourage. In our times of uh, adversity and weakness. And that's what he does. He is co-equal and co-eternal within the Godhead. He's the one who stands with us. When everybody else walks away. He's the one we can lean on. When there is nothing else to lean on by our side. He's the one who comforts us when we can't find comfort any other place. I refer to the Holy Spirit as the indispensable one. The indispensable one. And there are two things that Christians need today. A helper and one who will give us the truth the truth so that we can prevail in a world of compromise and lies this promise of the father not only called our helper but he's also called the spirit of truth and he is sent by the father to counter the father of lies and the lies of the world and he bears witness to the truth in us and to the world But in our day, sadly to say this generation is not asking the question what is truth? But they're asking a very different question. They're asking a question that leaves no hope. They ask, is there even such a thing as truth? Um, That leaves us With a generation without hope, without any set of there being absolute truth that comes from God. They ask the question, can our nation stand? Can it stand to hear the truth? Historically, when the church stands for the truth of God's word, it is met with the same enmity of the world that hated Christ. And through some of my travels to other countries like China, um, Ethiopia, I see there is much opposition and persecution today in other places against the church. And so I ask myself these questions. So, why is there not more opposition in our country to Christ and the church? Some would probably say, well, it's coming. You could see uh, possibilities of that. But I continue to ask, is the gospel of the cross that offends truly being preached in our land? Is the church preaching another gospel that is softer, kinder, more seeker-friendly? Are God's people today truly living godly in a godless world? Has the reputation of the church in America been so tarnished that it has lost its credibility? And has the church lost its distinct identity because of its insatiable desire to win over the world's approval at the expense of truth? Now, those are questions that I ask. I don't know if you have thought of these things as well. In our day, we need the comforter and we need the spirit of truth to make a clear statement actually that begins in the church about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In my opinion, we need a national revival. A revival that returns the church to credible godly testimony and a reformation That returns the church to sound biblical truth. We need to hear an urgent prophetic call from the pulpits of America. And with tears in our eyes, we need to call out for repentance while at the same time having a smile. Tears with a smile, and the smile is, but there is God's grace, amazing grace. The Holy Spirit is the comfort and power that we need today in a world that's very volatile. We need the spirit of truth to breathe fresh life into dying churches across our land. And they are dying. The apostles had first-hand testimony to the truth of Jesus Christ. And therefore the Lord says, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out to give a personal testimony of what you have seen and what you have heard and what I have taught you. And has anything changed since then? I mean, are we not also called to do the same? Are we praying? Are we praying for a revival? Matter of fact, are we praying for a revival that would begin with us in this church? And if not, why? Jesus picked up again his discourse on the Holy Spirit in chapter 16, verse 7 and 11. Listen to his words. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, there are going to be three ministries of the Spirit that he identifies here. He will convict the world concerning sin. And righteousness and judgment. Those are the three. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now let's take these ministries of the Spirit apart and see what they're all about. In our text here, Jesus identifies these three works of the Spirit that are so critical. The first is that the Spirit convicts the world of sin. And that in the world would include ourselves. And he convicts the world of sin, said Jesus, because of the essence of sin, which is disbelief or unbelief. The Holy Spirit is said to convict, which means to convince, even to condemn or judge the world of its sin. His convicting work is more than making us feel sorry for our sin. But rather, it is to convince us that our sin will be judged. The Holy Spirit's like a prosecuting attorney calling for a guilty verdict. His intent is to place the full weight of our guilt before a holy God. We are guilty of loving the darkness rather than the light. And He is the light who shines in our darkness. To expose our evil thoughts and our sinful deeds. He does that so rebelling sinners can repent of their sin and return to loving fellowship with God. So before grace can be received and appreciated, there must be an awareness of sin. An awareness of the need to repent of sin. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We are so fortunate to have the Holy Spirit do this work in us. He is God's pledge to each one of us that we shall be made aware of our sin. So that we can appropriate God's grace and then find the joy that God desires for us. Now, here's an observation from my own Experience in ministry. Who are the most miserable people that I have met over, mm, let's say, almost 50 years or more of ministry? I used to hear people say, well, it's the unbeliever, the non Christian. How could they ever find joy in life without Christ? And that's true. But they're not the most miserable people. I've met some great sinners who are having a ball for a while. But do you know who the most miserable people are? It's Christians. Christians who are convicted of their sin, but suppress it. The sin that once caused them godly sorrow in them turns into destructive guilt. And then they desire to regain the pleasure that they lost in sin. And that becomes a compelling pursuit. And then there's a pattern of self-deception. Of rationalization of their sin. And then bitterness seems to spring up within them. When Christians try to override the Spirit's work of conviction... Almost every time I have seen, they tend to find fault with others. Family, friends, and yes, the church. We have failed. This leads to a seared conscience. A pattern of destructive behavior and ultimately a path of destruction follows right after them. Now, there's no better example that I could find in the Bible of the power of the Spirit convicting someone of their sin. We find King David after his adultery with, uh, with Bathsheba. He suppressed that sin, those sins, actually, many. He suppressed it. He didn't deal with it. He wouldn't repent. He tried to pretend that it, it was just going to go on. He did everything he could do to hide from the sin that he had committed. But after a while, the conviction became so great, he could hardly stand it. Uh, listen to his words. You find it in Psalm 38, verses 1 through 10. Let me read it to you. Maybe you've been there before, I have. What he is describing is something I felt as a young man when I turned away from the Lord. He says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin." For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and they fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. I'm depressed, in other words. For my sides are filled with burning. There's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble. I am crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Oh Lord, all oh, my longing is before you. My sign is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it has gone from me. That's a description of men who is has suppressed the, con- the conviction of the Holy Spirit for his sin. This is the cry of a sinner who ran or attempted to run away from the influence of the Holy Spirit but finally, he gave up and gave in to the Spirit and repented. If there is anyone here today who is running, running from the Holy Spirit, I urge you today to stop. Stop running, repent, confess your sins. And then accept the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ so that your joy may be reserved. When sinners are declared righteous, they are forgiven unconditionally and eternally. And that's why the Bible says that we are to forgive each other just as we were forgiven. Christ that's the standard my friends so when the spirit convicts us of our sin Jesus said then he convicts us of Christ's righteousness now that seems kind of odd I can see conviction of sin but how do you convict someone of Christ's righteousness he says because he goes to be with the father let me try to explain that it's really awesome the gap between God's holiness and And our sin is infinite. That's how holy he is. And how depraved we are. Enforcing the absolute standard of God's perfect righteousness. Against our unrighteousness. Leaves us in deep need of God's sovereign grace. We must be convinced that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Says the Bible. Or they're as filthy and smelly as my, well, athletic socks and tennis shoes were in the high school and junior high. They were so bad, my mom said, Those do not come in the house. Those must stay outside. But we must also be convicted by the Holy Spirit that Christ's righteousness is like that of the Father, perfectly holy, without spot without wrinkle, without blemish. And the first step towards reconciliation with God then is the awareness of our need for Christ. Jesus was judged once and forever on the cross for all of our sin. And here's the good news, my friends. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But that's why he first convicts us of sin and then tries to convince us of the righteousness of Christ. But he also says he convicts or convinces the world of judgment. He says because the ruler of this world is judged. Didn't say will be, is judged. A holy God must execute righteous judgment on all sin to be perfectly just. That means every sin we've ever committed, every sin for not doing what we should have done, every evil thought, all of that must be paid for if you have a just God. And what's the good news? Jesus was judged on the cross for all of my sin. And the Holy Spirit must convict the world that God's judgment on sin is coming. This judgment will not only include Satan... But also, all who have rejected Christ turned away from the gospel. The father of lies was judged. He was judged at the cross and he was found guilty. And he will be cast into the lake of fire along with a lost humanity who loved the darkness more than the light. And because Satan is judged, Was judged. He no longer has the right. To have dominion over us. To enslave us. To ruin and destroy our lives. Don't give him that place. Because Christ died on the cross. And judged him. Jesus gives us further hope. In John 16. 12 through 15 I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them all. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine, and He'll declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine, and what will he do? Declare it to you. You see, the Holy Spirit is the glorifier, and he will guide us, said Jesus, into all the truth. The Spirit of truth speaks, Jesus said, on the authority of the Father. Jesus promised there would be a full revelation of truth in the scriptures. The Spirit will take the teachings of Christ that Jesus learned from the Father, and He will teach them to the apostles and then even us. Therefore, there is only one gospel, not two or more. There's only one because it comes from the Father to the Son to the Spirit, and to us. Christ's identity with the Father assures us. This is just too great. It's hard to even express it. That all things that the Father has given to Jesus, He's given to us as well. Go figure. Christ is our Savior. And we are his people. Christ has all the authority needed to bless and to preserve his people. And the Holy Spirit guides us into this incredible, wonderful world of the truth of God. And the Spirit interprets the truth of God's word and then applies it to our heart, to our lives. That's what he does. We are told, too, that the Spirit declares things to come. Like the apostles, we have many questions about the future. And the Holy Spirit, by divine revelation and inspiration, hear me out, has given us all we need to know about the future to give us hope. Oh, there's a lot more things we would like to know but he's given us enough to know that you have hope. Assurance. We are assured that all history is in Christ's hands. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, ruling over all things in heaven and on earth. And we are to encourage each other, to encourage one another, with the thought that Christ will return someday. The glorifier will also glorify Christ in us and through us. The chief end of man is to glorify God and what? Enjoy him forever? Well, the glorifier empowers us to live out God's purpose of glorifying him and enjoying him. I don't know if you're in touch with this or aware of this, I don't know that I would unless I had read the scriptures. In Philippians 2.13 it says, It is God who works in you. Both to will and to do his good pleasure. That's the work of the Spirit. We were bought with a price. And the price was the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're not to live for our own glory. Listen to Paul explain this for us. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. And then he concludes, So glorify Christ in your body. You were bought with a price, and you have the Holy Spirit in your body to enable you to glorify God. And as you glorify God, you will find the joy that God intended for us. This is to be our mindset daily. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's a mindset. That's a way of living. Christ is calling us to that. Jesus also said the Spirit takes all that Christ promised and He declares it to us. We're not lacking any knowledge from God That he intended for us. Not lacking anything. Jesus likewise tells us that the spirit will take. All the father gave to his son. And declare it to us. I mean I go wow. Do I understand all that? I don't think I do. Because we are hidden in Christ. All the love of the Father that he has for his Son is now declared and directed to us. Do you think there is perfect, infinite love between the Father and the Son? I do. Well, put yourself between them. So when the Father looks at you, you're hidden in Christ. and He tells his son, I, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But when he says that, that includes us. Which of us deserve to be loved like that? That's the kind of God we have. Why would we not want to glorify him? the Holy Spirit applies everything the Father ordained since the foundation of the world. Everything that Christ accomplished on the cross, the Holy Spirit applies into our life. He's the completer. Now, let's see how we, how would I say, find a takeaway for us. Well, someone great... Has come. And that's the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus said. And realize. This amazing gift. Has been given us. And it is the Holy Spirit. If you are in misery. Suppressing sin. Listen to the Spirit's quiet promptings. Uh, that's one thing I've noticed about the Holy Spirit. He doesn't yell. He usually whispers, <laughs> Repent. That's wrong. You know that's wrong. Forgive. Listen to his promptings. And then you know what my advice is? Then run quickly to the cross. To repent of your sin and to receive or to bathe in God's grace. If you are in a downer at this time in your life. Set your mind today on glorifying Christ. Because joy comes as we trust and obey God's word. I don't find it joyful to forgive others until after I've forgiven them. There's a lot of things that are not pleasing or pleasant to do. But when you've done it, you go, yeah, that was the right thing to do. God not only desires for us to share in his joy, but he's committed to it by giving us his Holy Spirit. Give the Holy Spirit the chance. Bring joy back into your life. By not holding back, by not continuing to hold grudges, to hide secret sin, come clean and pray. Pray to be filled with his power and his grace. In this series, we will talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is committed. God is committed to keeping us from stumbling. He's committed to give us joy in this world, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of great troubles in the world. That's our comforter. Now the words that I share with you today may seem, well, harsh. They're not intended to be harsh. They're intended to bring us joy. Because joy comes after repentance. After you've been convicted of sin. Joy comes when you receive and you understand the righteousness of God has been declared on you. And joy comes from knowing that Satan has already been judged. He's running around, hurry scurriedly, trying to finish up things. But he knows that his destiny means darkness and the lake of fire. My friends, we are in desperate days. And we need to hear in our churches about what it means to have radical commitment to Christ. That you can go to many, many other churches that will not speak like this. But this is where joy comes from. My parting thought is this. (laughs) I have gone to, as I say, to many other countries. And uh, I ask myself, why are they so joyful? I mean, seriously, you ask, how could they be so joyful? The government's coming after them. They're on a list. They come into the church, and they will take you out of the church. Um, You can't teach Sunday school because the government is in charge of teaching children. You go to other countries as I have and you look at their lives they've been in prison I have a uh, a translator in another country wonderful young man I wish I could bring him here um, his name is Mueller have you ever heard that name before have you ever heard of George Mueller a man who of great faith started orphanages and did great things for the Lord well his dad gave him that name Mueller but his dad was in prison His dad was a pastor. I met many men who came out of prison. Many. Now many of them are leaders of churches, which is kind of interesting, kind of fun. Now Mueller, I asked him one day, what do you plan to do? What do you plan to be? And he said, Pastor Don, I want to to teach like you teach. I want to tell people what you're telling them. I said, well, you can do that. You're very gifted. He said, do you think so? I said, I know so. So when you graduate from school, what are you going to do? He goes, I want to be a pastor. And here's the wild thing he said to me. I want to be a pastor who can lead the church underground. I go, what do you mean? He goes, because of what we've gone through, we believe that will return someday. And I want to be ready to lead the church. I've never met an American that's ever said anything like that. But there are brothers and sisters around the world that give their life to Christ. And they are more joyful than a whole lot of miserable American Christians. Because all the stuff we have does not really make us happy people. I mean, it can help a little bit, I'll admit, okay? No, really, the joy comes from within. And that within is the Spirit of God. Acknowledge Him today. Pray that the Spirit will grow in you. And again, as I say, if there are things that you're harboring in your heart, That you know are wrong. The spirit is speaking to you. Don't carry around that burden. Don't carry around that guilt. It's destructive. It's unproductive. But righteousness is constructive. And it is joyful. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your dear church. They are dear to you, each one of them. So dear that your son died on the cross to glorify you and so that someday we can be glorified with him in heaven. Father, may your Holy Spirit that you have given to us work in a mighty way today to purify us, to unite us, to encourage us, And yes, Father, even to convict us where sin has not been repented. We thank you for the cross and the hope we have of forgiveness. The hope we have of your righteousness. We thank you that Satan and the forces of darkness have already been judged. You are the victor. And we await the day that we shall see your victory firsthand. So, encourage us today to everyone who's here. May we depart from this place filled with joy because we know Christ, we know his grace, we have your spirit residing and indwelling in each of us. May we have hope love and joy that comes by your spirit we pray this in Jesus name and all God's people said amen